Welcome to Business of Design. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. The Business of Design podcast offers immediate, actionable strategies and a glimpse into some of the many field-tested, proven systems you can implement to transform your business and your life. After the show, head to businessofdesign.com and get started with the BOD 15-step project management strategy and six foundational programs. Together, they deliver the systems, procedures, and strategies you need to run a successful, highly profitable design business. There's no theory here. The complete BOD business model is yours through Business of Design membership. Business of Design. There's only one. And now your BOD Advocate-in-Chief, Kimberly Selden. Well, hello, you fabulous interior design professional. Is it a whole new year or what? Happy 2023. I hope you are well. I hope you are thriving. I hope you have some exciting projects that you are looking forward to this year. We are in the thick of a huge project installation. Very excited about it. Now, this episode you're going to hear was recorded during the month of November. And as an aside, you're going to hear me whining because I decided to do an alcohol-free November, which was harder than I thought it was going to be. Uh, And I was doing it with a BOD boss member, Ann Prince, who's from Memphis. And by the way, Ann, you've got to be on the podcast. I don't think you've been on the podcast yet. But anyway, I made it all the way to November 28th that I had to text Anne and say, okay, I'm weak. I got to have a glass of red wine. And so she gave me permission. But then I did a few days in December just to make sure I got uh, the 30 days in or whatever it was. Next time I would choose February. It's a little bit shorter, right? Why not? Anyway, I digress. You're going to meet Eric McClellan, a great friend of mine, a designer I admire and respect so much. And we weren't sure what we were going to talk about during this episode, but I think it turned out to be a really important topic of conversation, which is largely confidence. Getting confidence, faking confidence, growing confidence, and all that can mean to every project you will have for the rest of your life. I will say without a doubt, some confidence is earned the hard way by being in business for years, but most confidence can be faked from day one of your business if you have the systems and tools at your back that you can rely on. So you don't have to take as many years as it took me to be confident with clients, but what you will gain from being confident and making decisions quickly and sticking to those decisions or doubling down, as we call this episode 305, Double Down with Eric McClellan, What you have to gain is so much. It's literally the difference between a project that turns out okay and a project that is awesome because you made it so. No, it's never easy to tell clients no. It's never easy to push back when you make a suggestion and they think, hmm, I'm not sure I want to go that big or that bold. But stay the course Double down on what you know is the right choice for the project, even if it's scary. 
And sometimes it is. For me, it is. You're going to hear me talk about telling clients, I picked a wallpaper for you, but I don't want to show you. I just want you to trust me. And then that fear, like, oh my gosh, what if they really don't like it? Then I'm going to have to buy them new wallpaper. It always turns out to be the best decision. And I just had, I hadn't had it during the course of the interview you're going to hear, but I have now had feedback from the clients. They freaking love the wallpaper and they never would have picked it. Those were their literal words. I'm so glad you didn't show us. There's no way we would have picked it. It's perfect for the space. So just trust your instincts and go with the decision you made. Double down on that decision. You will gain so much and your clients can relax and let you manage the project, which is great for them too. It's a whole new year and we've got lots of exciting things at Business of Design and here to tell us what's happening right away in the new year is Cheryl Horn. Happy new year and welcome back. Uh, Hopefully everyone's not having too crazy of a week playing catch up after hopefully taking some time off over the holidays. Uh, If you're a member of Business of Design or following the BOD 15, you should have been able to take that time off pretty easily and pick right back up where you left off this week. But with that said, we have a very busy uh, events calendar coming up. So I'm just going to run through everything really quickly, uh, try and keep this short. For details on any of our events, go to businessofdesign.com and click on events in the main menu. So coming up, uh, January 20th, IDS in Toronto. You can find Kimberly in two places. She is going to be joining Kohler for falling in love with industrial waste. So that's happening at 11.30. And then at 1.30, it's payday. And she's going to be talking about getting paid, paying yourself first, and how important that is and how you do that. Following IDS, Kimberly will be headed to Las Vegas Market. You can find her January 30th at 11 a.m. talking about no more negotiating. And then she will be joining Kohler again for Cabus, also in Las Vegas. She's going to be doing a talk at their booth on the Tuesday afternoon, January 31st. And we're really looking forward to that. So lots of places to find uh, Kimberly if you are planning to attend any of these larger shows. And if you want to hang out at a more intimate setting with Kimberly and Team BOD, uh, you can join us in Australia for the BOD 15 two-day intensive seminar, March 6th and 7th, hosted by Boyd Blue at their Sydney showroom. Or of course, join us for the BOD Elite Retreat, April 27th to 30th in Charleston. Details for all of these events, again, head to businessofdesign.com. There's a lot to see there. Uh, Reach out to me if you have any questions, and we hope to see you at one or many of these upcoming events. Thanks so much. Thank you, Cheryl. And thanks to you guys. We're so happy to be here with you another year. And I do hope I'm going to be seeing most of you, all of you, in person this year. Come on out. We've got so many fun events and let's spend quality time together. There is magic that happens when we get in a room together. Enjoy the show. Eric McClellan, how are you? I'm great today. How are you, Kimberly? It's so good to see you. And I know you're crazy busy because you juggle projects in Canada, in the US, outside of those regions too, I suspect. Am I right? 
Yeah, we're doing some international work and um, we just opened a hotel in Austin, Texas, which is a very exciting thing Um, and doing a lot of work in Vancouver. Oh my gosh. Okay. Austin, Texas. Let's go. I was there like one night and it was just not nearly enough time. I'm very excited about that place. Um, But I've known Eric a long time. Eric does a ton of television and media and he's always in the press and his work is always published. And I always have been such a fan of your jobs. They're so beautiful. And I will say this, I think you're more courageous than I am. And I think that's always a good thing. It's something I struggle with. I'm, I'm a little bit cautious, um, and you're not wild and crazy, but you somehow know how to push the envelope just enough so your projects are, in some ways, unique. And what is that about? Is that just courage, or is that decisiveness? How does how does it play out for you? Um, I think that the true success of a design concept is to kind of go with your gut. Um, You're obviously working from plans and sizing and all of the architectural limitations we have. But I think that when we come up with a concept, we are very decisive about it. And we want the client to have input, but we limit that input in the sense that we're quick with a comeback. So as they try to diverge from the concept, we bring up something that brings them back in. So we're not distilling that concept, we're keeping it strong. And usually the concept is a little, I call our style hotel-like, and as we've just designed a hotel, It's why I think we're kind of successful at that. So when we're doing a residential project, we might look at a powder room and look at it as more than just wallpaper and wall sconces and a mirror. We might be putting paneling in and doing that paneling in a crazy Chinese red lacquer and having a custom-built sink so that it is very much more concept and more hotel-like. But... Then we'll give the client an option that, you know, if they don't want Chinese red, they could do another color and then they say yellow and we say, what about Chinese red? (laughs) Um, And then they say blue and we say, what about red, Chinese style? Um, (laughs) And so that we're coming back and reinforcing that initial concept and making a quick decision about it. So then maybe out of that whole concept, the wall sconces aren't the most important thing because the Chinese red is really what you want to get your impact from. So you give them three choices of wall sconces and they don't pick the one you want, but you got the Chinese red, so no one to lose. Let them have the wall sconce they want. You've picked them all, so hopefully they're all good. Um, and you're kind of in this balance, but you haven't got back to them with a new concept, or maybe I should pick three other wall sconces. You haven't faltered in your vision. You're staying your course, and you're staying your course true and fast. Like, we want to make all the decisions for a room in one meeting, if we can. And the decisions that aren't done in that meeting 
we try to slip in without that much uh, interference by the client. Like maybe they don't need to know what, I don't know, light is going in the anti-foyer of the powder room because it's not really part of the powder room and it's not going to be Chinese red. Um, so just that whole um, efficiency efficiency is another way of putting it like decisiveness equals efficiency did you when you were younger did was it more difficult for you to hold your ground because i remember so distinctly the my first clients and if i had said what about chinese red and they would have said what about yellow i would have thought i picked the wrong thing i uh, what's wrong with me? Why didn't I understand that they wanted yellow? Like it would just have been this horrible internal battle. Do you, did you find that you were doing that when you were younger or have you always been decisive? Um, I actually think that 20 years ago, we designed stronger and better concepts. Um, you were a little bit more out of school and school is very concepty, and you... You did everything custom because there were no West Elms and CB2s, so you didn't have the choice of buying that stuff. So you built in the paneling and the mirrors and the lighting, and and we kind of expected clients to just pay for it and not question us very much because they were hiring a designer. Now I actually find it more challenging because all of these alternative processes and options are out there and clients are smarter and more educated inside. And I think they're more price conscious because things commercially are available to them. So I can see it being more difficult to follow the vision of your design aesthetic and your design concept now than it was before. But I think that that's where it comes back to coming up with a concise concept, something that that you kind of say to the client, if they start picking it apart, it all falls apart. That you've selected these pieces in tandem with one another so that there's a layering going on and there's a design aesthetic. Everything has a curve in it. Everything has a titch of bronze in it, but not too much or, you know, or maybe it is the brass room and it's like, go brass. Um, so I guess what, what do you see as being the big advantages then of just being really firm in your first choice? Cause I know what I think they are, but what do you think they are versus backpedaling? Well, the biggest one, I think, is the confidence it exudes to the client. I think you can never, once you backpedal, you never have given as strong an advice as if you just hold true. If the client doesn't like your advice and wants something else, that's when you say, yes, I can do that because there's always another choice but I'm going to have to reconsider a bunch of options. So let's pick what you like now, and I will have to come back to you with kind of a new concept that works with what you're talking about, but this will take more time, mm-hmm. right? So if they, so they, when they 
get the bill for that more time and they realize, oh, every time they question the concept, it costs them extra money, then, and if you're confident in what you've chosen and how you uh, present it to them, that efficiency once again gives them value in, in more ways than one. And what, what was your perception of how that worked? Well, it, it touched on yours. Definitely, I think it plants a seed in the client's mind that you're not sure. And once that seed is planted, I have found it's impossible almost to get it back. So I've learned to double down on my first choice. And sometimes I lose. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll fight really hard for the Chinese red and I don't get it. But I never let them think we made a better decision. Right. Yep. And I would, I would, so, and I guess in terms of your former comment about questioning whether yellow was the right choice, maybe I'm arrogant, but I never think the client is, has better choices than I do. That's my job and that's what they're hiring me for. And unless they have absolutely exquisite taste and are actually going to push my envelope to something that I thought was racier than what I was presenting, I would always come back to them with the confidence that, no, yellow is too aggressive, red is a classic color, it was used in all those Chinese vases for centuries and centuries and centuries, and we're not going to use a hot red or something that looks Las Vegas. We're going to use this classic color that has a hint of orange and is just that perfect red. And you sell them on that. And a story always helps. I actually went to Japan and bought a little rice bowl in the exact red that I wanted it to be. So I don't know whether that's Japanese red or Chinese red, but anyways, it's a rice bowl red. And I've always, you know, if we're presenting that concept, I bring the bowl with me. And I say, this is what I want it to look like because it is a classic. Yeah. I love, I love that. And I do think that comes across in your design that you have a kind of a cerebral approach. Um, and I, I do think it's a comfort to the client when you say, I feel so strongly about this. Um, one thing I also will say to clients, if it were my powder room, this is what I would do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go near the yellow for, the, for these reasons, if this were my powder room. Um, and often that's enough to kind of persuade them, right? Just double down. Don't backtrack. Don't backtrack. Double down. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think as you're presenting ideas, um, there always is another idea. And you can always better things. And you can use budget as an excuse to change your mind as opposed to saying you're changing your mind. So if, you know, the price comes in for all the Chinese red lacquered panels at $10,000 and you think, oh my God, like this powder room's gonna cost 60 grand, um, then maybe you do go back and you say, you know what, I've got some wall sconce options and some mirror options 
from CB2, and they're not the ones that we originally picked that were, you know, $2,000 each. These ones are $599 each. And in terms of our concept, I'd rather you have the lacquered panels. Yeah. So then you're giving them, you're empowering them with their money to say that you're conscious of it. You want your concept to be strong and you think it's worth the $10,000 for those panels, but we can still remotely get the job on budget if you are willing to lower this or lower that. And they might say, no, those Onyx wall sconces that you picked, I know they're going to cost me $5,000, but if we're going to go for the lacquered panel, let's go for the gusto. And They always the say that. Don't they always do that? They always do that. I mean, give them a if choice to them, do that. If you give them the choice and the value is in the more expensive one, I often find they'll pull me up. Yeah. What are some other ways do you think that you exude confidence to your clients? Because I know your clients listen to you. I mean, you don't get a hotel built without having your clients listen to you. So being firm and being decisive, what are some other things you do to just exude confidence? I was just looking at a project book the other day, and it was in their very first meeting, and they had this really suburban staircase with picket railings that looked like they were from Home Depot. And I said, you know, we don't have to change the whole stair. We just really need to change this section of it that comes down from the landing into your living room. And I said, let's do this curved stainless steel railing with these pickets that look like rattan poles that were at different angles. And so I did a quick sketch of it. And they said, oh, they like that idea. And then I was looking at our drawings. And the difference between our drawing, that probably took 10 hours to do, and my sketch was so minimally different. Like, yes, the drawing said what size the top cap of stainless was and what diameter the rod was. And it detailed how the plates went down. But when I really got down to it, that sketch that took me four minutes is what sold them on the idea. The railing was $2,500 over budget. They never faltered. It was like, yes, I know that's what you were drawing. You told me it was going to cost $7,500. Now it costs ten. I'm not happy about that, but I don't really want to change it. Yeah, And the other thing I come back with them with, because we all are professionals and we don't know what we're sketching in terms of pricing. We have an idea, but especially right now, prices don't always come back in where you want them to. And so I say to them, okay, I can redesign that railing and get it at the $7,500 budget, but that's going to take me five to 10 hours. And I'd rather you have the beautiful railing than bill you for that time. Yeah. So that rolls back into that, you know, be firm with your concept, right? Like sell it from the sense that we've already gone down this road and we were firm on it to begin with. So to falter for it now, from it now, for $2,500 
doesn't really do, you're only going to save $1,000 anyways. So for the $1,000, just go with the concept. You know what? Clients are, and I didn't know this when I was young, but clients are reasonable people and they're intelligent. And so when you tell them something like that, they can they can do the math themselves. They totally understand, and I have I absolutely use that line frequently. I just want to say right here and right now, I'm so jealous that you can sketch. When I sketch, it looks tragic. I just I'm not. It's just horrific. I honestly, I remember my kindergarten teacher. We had to color poinsettias. It was Christmas time, and I had to skip recess. She made me stay in because I colored outside of the lines. And I think I didn't draw another thing until I was like 30 and in design school. And I love drafting because I have all that control. But I would say for those of you, if you're listening, you're like me and your sketching powers are sad. Use use your words. Tell a romantic story about the curve of the staircase and the rattan poles you want at various angles. It's the best I can do. I wish I wish I could sketch. I actually have signed up for different sketching classes and they're just like, yeah, sad. You just have no talent, like pretty much. <laughs> I think that there is a... So I was not a good drawer either. Really? I, and my... No, and my... Um, my business partner, Peter, was a spectacular artist drawer. He could do a perspective that, you know, what what he could draw in three hours would take somebody on the computer in 3D 30 hours. But what I did learn, and I learned it kind of from him, is that the... Um, basics of it, which is a box, like which is an elevation. So if you can draft an elevation, you can draw an elevation. Then you just put the four corners into it. And it, it, if you, I think if you took a course, everybody could sketch in stick language to the point of getting your vision across. In, it, it can be really rudimentary. It doesn't really need okay. to be this beautiful, like, and more, like, if you don't know how to draw, no detail is better than lots of detail. Yeah. So you just really want them to be lines and sticks, and then you use your word to fill in the gaps because you're not drawing all the gaps. Okay, fair um, enough. Yeah, I that's actually true. I can draw an I can draw an elevation. If I if I go for perspective, I often box myself into a funny corner. But an elevation, I can kind of hack out. Actually, Eric and I for years did a television show together called City Line, and the viewers used to phone in and ask a decorating question. And as I recall, Eric, you would whip out your sketch pad and do quite quite good drawings. I always that was always a challenging uh, aspect for me of the show. And I'm just saying, I can do it now, but I didn't used to be able to. And, and it really was the confidence that Peter gave me to realize the strength and value of that talent. And I thought, I need to be able to at least do it enough to sell. And then as you do it, you get more confident and you get better at it. And and I did always start with elevation. In in all honesty, in my world, I started with elevation too. And then as years have gone by, I can do a rudimentary perspective. 
Good on you. When you are um, presenting to clients, um, do you already know what the key pieces of the puzzle are that you're going to fight for? And do you always have, like you gave the example of maybe there's three different choices for the sconces in the powder room because what's really important is the lacquered walls. Do you do, you do that in every room or are you kind of, are you winging it? Um, so we're a big, um, I find that millwork is a big proponent of most of our designs. So I'm talking about lacquered panels. To me, that's built-in millwork. That's woodwork or, you know, it's it's built in, it's crafted. So in a family room, I would look at the fireplace wall because chances are it's going to have wood and stone and steel and and are there going to be floating shelves? Is it going to be really hyper-modern or is it going to be transitional? And... That's the one that I always try to push the box on in terms of I think that the easy way out is to have the fireplace in the middle with the mantle and the TV and bookcases on the side. And I'm always trying to say, well, what if the bookcases were only on one side? And what if the mantle went the other way all the way across? And what if the TV was off-centered or like... And once again, I would do that in that initial meeting with the client in an elevation and maybe draw three very different stick elevations of that wall and say, you know, you've seen this one. This is what your neighbors have. This is what, you know, everybody has because the fireplace is in the middle. So are you willing to go that extra are you willing to design outside the box and live outside the box and then i fight for that if they go for it um then i hold true to that concept and let the rest of the room um be a little more pliable what what's your take on the the primary bedroom then what's your like i must fight for x I mean, I guess it's a toss-up between the draperies and the bed, or are those the two things? Um, So we really go for the concept headboard wall. Um, Even if you're going to buy a bed at nightstands, we would want to do millwork, um, padded upholstery panels behind there, lacquered panels with reveals, Maybe you hang lights down from the ceiling in front of the panels so that you don't have a bedside lamp and it looks slightly different than everybody else's um, bedroom. We would often build in the night tables and, you know, depending, build in the bed as well. Um, So once again, I would sell that concept of that back wall of the bedroom as being the real focus of it and I would sell it that that's the part of the bed bedroom that they use like you want your night tables to have plugs in them and have switches for your lights in them and if you buy a night table you can't do that so if we build them we can do all the electrical behind them and you can have usb ports and you can have all of these things that are really 
really important to you? And, you know, is there an open shelf that you can have your Kleenex box on? And is there a, you know, place for your book and all of that? Whereas, you know, if you buy the nightstand, it needs to sit a foot away from your bed. And if you buy the right one, it has all those things. But, you know, depends on your space. Um, the drapes and the sofa and the chairs, if that if that design concept of the headboard wall is strong, become, become kind of secondary. And so, you know, then you just do very simple drapery treatments. And if you end up buying a chair at a retail store and a couch at a retail store and don't go custom on that, um, chances are it'll all... I'll still work out. You know what I haven't done in a hundred million years? I forgot about this. Like in the early nineties, we often did like draperies behind a headboard and a, a canopy above. I haven't done that forever. I think that it's time to like dust off the old books from the nineties and, and bring that back. I'm not sure about the canopy, but okay. The, the drapery <laughs> behind the bed, I can get it too. All right. All yeah. right. Uh, when you we're a big yeah. we're a big proponent of wall coverings yeah oh my yeah. gosh and like texture wall coverings we're so spoiled for choice right now like there's so many beautiful wall coverings out there i love any any kind of any kind of grass cloth i love beyond measure but i've really been getting into big big patterns lately right which is another way of doing that headboard wall without doing the whole uh, millwork and built-in aspect of it. Um, and is also effective. I don't think anything ever is effective as custom millwork. Like when you walk into a bedroom, you've got 12 feet of sycamore with leather panels in it. I mean, it's, you know, you know that it's money. You, you spent money and it looks like money. Yeah. But... The impact of a bold wallpaper print can also, you know, really give you that. But once again, hold true to your your instinct and your first choices. If you give three big patterns, don't let that concept get distilled to, oh, yes, we're just going to do a lattice of, you know, black and silver and it's no longer, it's just an overall pattern. If you wanted big palm fronds or pelicans on your head, you know, um, Mui has this fabulous one with extinct animals on it that I just did a headboard wall. And, you know, the client, I could tell they were really trepidatious about it, but when it was installed, she said, I just don't understand how elephants and rhinoceroses can be this romantic. And it is. It's completely romantic in the end. So it, it was a leap of faith on their part. Yeah. And they saw the little samples. And when the roll came, the husband said, that's not the same wallpaper. And I put the sample right into the wallpaper. And they said, there it is. And and we put it up, and they love it. And the grandkids love it because there's animals in it, and they're looking at the tiger and the elephant and the this and the that. And so it's interactive. And so they're happy they didn't question the concept now. Like, their, their end result is truly augmented by the fact that 
it was a strong concept and it was a little bit crazy. I would say that you were only able to do that because they had total confidence in you. And if you had wiffle waffled on anything in earlier in the project, they, they would lose the confidence and then you lose the opportunity to introduce something like that, right? I've started experimenting lately with, the, I'll say to a client, and I just did this, I have chosen some wallpaper for you, but I don't want you to see it. I want you to just trust me because it's bold and you might second guess it, but I'm not second guessing. So they said, go for it, do it. And I've done that a couple of times with a carpet, with, and it's turned out to be really great. And the clients are just like, it's like a little surprise at the end, you know? And I, I can subscribe to that concept. I think it's kind of, kind of cool. And you'd have to know your client well enough. And, you know, and that exudes the confidence that, yeah. you know, you're, you're willing to take it on you and take the risk and make sure that they love it. And yeah. And I guess worst case scenario is they hate it and you're like, I think I'm going to paper over it or take it off or whatever. And maybe then I'm going to eat that. So hopefully they haven't seen it yet. The wallpaper, um, it's going to be gorgeous. It's going to be gorgeous. Good. Yes, no clients are listening to this podcast, so we're totally safe. <laughs> when are you heading back out to Austin? Um, I'll be in Austin in early December, but I'm off to Miami on Sunday to install an apartment there. Oh my gosh, um, so fun. Um, that's kind of fun. And you, what are you up to? Let me think. I am in one place for the next two and a half months, which is really lovely. I'm in Toronto and we'll have, we'll do Christmas with the kids and all that kind of stuff, which is really fun. And then I head out to LA in January, I guess. Yeah. And you and I have a hot date coming up as well, just to catch up finally. Because um, yes. I've been bugging you to be on the podcast forever, but you're, you're, all, you're here, there and everywhere. Your assistant is exhausted. Your assistant needs an assistant. So I believe that we're on for Wednesday night. We are, but I have to tell you, I'm doing a dry November. It's dreadful. Oh my goodness. I don't recommend it. Um, it was a dare. It was a pinky swear dare, and now I'm halfway through the month. So anyway, it's sad. But we can talk. <laughs> there you go. I know. Isn't that yeah. tragic? So... I mean, it's up to you. We could postpone till December. <laughs> Maybe we should, because honestly, we're, I was really looking forward to a cocktail with you. I was really looking forward to a cocktail with you, but we won't. We'll do it offline. We'll finish the show. Everybody, yes, alcohol is so important to me. I can't go 30 days. I'm dying. Um, <laughs> we end every episode with something we call design intervention. It's just a great piece of business advice. Maybe something you wish you had known from the beginning when you started your interior design business? Hmm. And not necessarily what we were talking about? Not or? related at all, if you don't want. I think that the biggest lesson that I've learned is... As you're collaborating on a project, so I used to work with architects all the time and be in architects' offices, and they had some good ideas and they had some not-so-good ideas, and the manipulation of 
talking about a good idea to swerve it into your court so that you can change it and get your influence in on it is a really great trait. Like to be able to, to instead of getting upset and getting huffy about something that you don't like, try to find the good in it and then try to change it to kind of blend with your vision so that you're, you're kind of um, caressing it into your court as opposed to bludgeoning someone and making them pissed off and then putting your hands on your hips and going, well, I want this. So it's always better to make other people feel like they've made the decision for you. And that, I think, is whether it's a client, whether it's an architect, whether it's a builder, um, that, I think, is incredibly beneficial to the wholeness of your concept because you can sway your concept back on track if you word things correctly. Well, I think that's good advice for life, right? It's so much better to say to somebody, I love your uh, your concept. That totally works for me. What if we added this or what if we did this, um, you know, in, in combination? Anyway, I think that's just good advice, period. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Great. And so does that sign us off for today? We're done. Yeah. Eric's like, good. I got to get back to work. Thank you so yeah. much, sweetie. It was so good to see you. But hang on, because we're going to talk about the drink. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening and supporting the BOD mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. If you're ready to implement an exact business model for running a streamlined, profitable business, field tested by thousands of design professionals around the world, head to businessofdesign.com and get started today. It's time to dramatically improve your business and transform your life.